0: There was an idea.
1: Romano, I come to bargain. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Bunch of jackasses standing in a circle. Asking Robbins always finds out.
2: I prefer the faster bait.
1: Are you Tony, stank? I am Iron Man.
0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Assembly Required, an MCU retrospective, the show where we reassemble the MCU piece by piece, movie by movie, and episode by episode. I am your host, Eduardo, and joining me on the show today, it's the the same old crew, you know how we do. <laughs> it's Robbie, Chris, and Peaches. What's up, guys?
2: Okay. Okay. <laughs> d- uh, d- <laughs>
3: Speechless. <laughs> the same old crew. Yabba dabba doo hoodly <laughs> hoo I forgot my left shoe. I'm gonna <laughs> yeah. scare the hell out of you. <laughs> we did watch that on Halloween, good. by the way, in the, uh, in the in the in the soundboard apartment. Good.
1: If you don't watch David Pumpkins on
3: Halloween, yeah.
1: what did you even do?
3: Yeah. that's a good point. Watch that and Hocus Pocus, and that that was our Halloween day. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: Well, we got some uh, some daredevilin to talk about this week. Oh, we're gonna be talking about Stick, which was written by Douglas Petrie. I'm gonna assume that's how you say
3: it. Poor (laughs) Petrie.
0: It's Petrie. Directed by Brad Turner. (laughs) (laughs) Better Petrie to say that correctly. Uh, (laughs) Shadows in the Glass, written by Stephen Tonight and written by Stephen
3: Suryak. Okay. Did you know? Speaking of pronouncing TV writers weirdly, I, it was years before I found out that the creator of Mad Men was named Matt Weiner. Oh, it's spelled Weiner, but it's pronounced Weiner. And That's I just—I had been reading his Weiner for. Ye- I'd been reading his yeah. Weiner for years.
1: <laughs> that sounds like something Matt Weiner would say. So you didn't call him Matt Weiner. That's true. It's, Weiner. it's
3: Frankenstein. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> let's start off with stick which sounds like is going to be everyone's favorite episode <laughs> uh, <laughs> at night in a dark office building a man in a suit is running from and attempting to shoot an unknown attacker the attacker appears is unable to cut off the man's office. Be able to cut the man's arm off. Just,
3: they show you yeah, the, like severed, like the that he
0: like with the bone and everything. I mean, okay, be I found
3: it very funny that he's this guy runs down the stairs and then he's waiting with his gun pointed at the elevator, and you're just hearing it go ding, 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 and then the elevator door opens up and he just starts shooting. And I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, why it's, does it? It stop being keep
0: funny. <laughs>
1: yeah, he's just like ah. Maybe he thought I was a ghost, and it was a silver
3: bullet.
2: And I, I feel like if if if
3: someone's trying to kill you and he's coming down the elevator, and you're fast enough to get down and wait for him to show up, you're fast enough to run away.
2: I agree, and just no, not you get killed. Wait kill him, yeah, right. Yeah.
0: The attacker asks in Japanese about the location of the black sky. When the man in the suit tells him he doesn't know where it is, the attacker decapitates him. I guess we don't technically know he decapitates him. We know Dude, that blood gets point. everywhere. But we don't necessarily know it's a decapitation. He removed
3: a boil on his back. Oh. <laughs> oh, this that's really gross.
0: As we leave, we see the attacker is blind. Leland Owsley and Nobu Yoshioka meet in a garage. Owsley asks Nobu what he's trying to hide in his dealings with Fisk's group, but Nobu is unwilling to talk. As Nobu leaves, the man in the mask surprises Owsley and starts talking about Fisk. Murdoch is distracted by the sound of distant cane tapping, and Owsley is able to tase him and drive away. Don't tase me, bro. (laughs) Don't tase me, bro. I was at UF
3: when that happened. It was very embarrassing.
0: The cane tapping turns out to be the blind man from the episode opening. He asks Murdoch, are you just going to lay around all night? And triggers a flashback. <laughs> <laughs> the old blind man is introduced to young Matt Murdoch in the orphanage, where he is raised, or he's being raised by nuns. He is reportedly good at working with blind children. The old man is able to recognize Murdoch's gifts and, though harsh, tries to explain to him how lucky he is. In the park, he asks Murdoch to hone in on what he is able to learn from his enhanced surviving senses and offers to train Maddie, saying he needs him for the war. war In the present, Murdoch refers to the old man as Stick. Stick tells Murdoch he's here to save everyone in Hell's Kitchen from a horrible death. Karen Page and Ben Yurik continue to meet to discuss their investigation of the UAC fallout. Yurik has been able to find clues connecting the Chinese triad and the Japanese Yakuza to the UAC business and the Russian bombings, but can't find proof. Karen vows to find proof while Yurik expresses fear over getting her involvement in something dangerous. In Murdoch's apartment, Stick expresses disgust as Matt surrounding himself with fine things like furniture and (laughs) bedsheets. <laughs> Murdoch accuses Stick of ditching him as a child. Your sub sheets
3: will kill you.
0: In a flashback, Stick tries to train Maddie in karate and to subdue him with uh, his um, and to subdue his emotions when he fights. In the present, Stick finally explains the war to Murdoch, saying it's against the Japanese led by Nobu himself.
1: Every time Stick says the war, it reminds me of the really cheesy way that Loki says it in Avengers. Where he's like, "There's no stopping it. There is only long pause. The war." And it's (laughs) like, "Why do they always say that so weirdly?" I don't. It it just makes it sound cheesy. The war. Yeah, it's like it's like satirical almost.
2: (laughs) There is no Dana. Only
0: the war. Stick tells him the black sky is the item Nobu refused to talk to Owsley about, and it's a weapon Nobu is bringing to the city, and the two of them have to stop. He goes on to criticize Murdoch for being able to kill people and asks him to help stop Nobu, saying it will scare Wilson Fisk. Murdoch agrees, but makes Stick promise not to kill anyone. All right, Peaches. Oh, me first. Peaches first. Stick. It's kind of a dick. We're doing a Dr. Seuss episode, so yeah. I'd hopefully say your entire point—your <laughs> entire point—is rhyming. But yeah, you don't—you're not a fan right? of, of, of stick, huh?
1: Uh, I don't have many tricks. Uh, <laughs> no, I didn't rehearse you this. I'm tricks. sorry. I can't. I can't do this for too long. Um ha, uh, Clinton dicks. No, I just. <laughs> I just think that this this episode does a good job, and I I believe this is intentional. I don't think the show really wants you to like stick all that much um and they they nail it i it's very easy to dislike stick i i i just don't i'm uncomfortable with the way that he talks to maddie um i have been fortunate to only have one or two people like in my life that talked to me the way that stick talks to maddie and i don't really like those people (laughs) so um you're gonna call me out
2: right here on the podcast
1: no 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 they were they they are blood related sir um Oof. so i don't uh i just it's effective at making me connect with the character because i think about the person in my life that talked to me the way that stick talks to matt but it i don't like it um and so by design it it i think they did exactly what they wanted to do um but i don't know i just he has purpose in the plot. Um, I know this. Some people don't know this. One one out of four of us don't know this. Um, so like, <laughs> cool. It, it's it's a good thing he's around. But I just don't. I don't need him in the show to just be a complete jackass. Like, Matt is a blind lawyer trying to take on a crime organization basically by himself. I don't think he needs another person to be an asshole to him. <laughs>
2: you know. Right.
1: And I mean that's I, I guess that's his and Stick's relationship. That's just how it needs to be. But I don't know. He just makes me uncomfortable. I'm sure he makes you guys uncomfortable too. Yep. Is I mean, it... one
3: of my notes is literally, "Hey, child abuse." Yes.
1: Yeah.
0: It's like the theme of yeah. these two episodes. It really is. Yep. <laughs> I mean, that's I, I think that's yeah, I think that's that's the big. I think that's away. why
1: it gets to me. Oh, the, wait, the it's family...
0: starting to click for everybody now. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, I mean both of these episodes make me uncomfortable. They're I'm going to say so the different. same exact thing later. Um about Kingpin, but I I don't know. I did have a person in my life that kind of had like the same treatment of like, no, this is this is what you need to do to be a man, okay? Men don't sit inside and watch cartoons and on saturday mornings men go out and climb trees and then they fall off the tree and they get hurt and they don't cry about it and then they try to climb the tree again and then they catch a bug and eat it and shove an entire stick in their asshole so you need to go outside and do that and like that's (laughs) hey look child trauma (laughs) that was i got a little bit hyperbolic there by the end just so you know that was not literal by the end yeah yeah
0: no, climbing it trees part, it wasn't a literal
1: stick. Yeah, yeah the climbing the climbing trees part that that was literal that was what this person Jesus. like he was obsessed with me like wanting to climb trees why is this what you want me to do that's weird the weird thing is he lived in a place where we didn't even have trees like in the yard front or backyard so I would have had to like run away from the house <laughs> to find a tree to climb anyways the point is i i don't uh i he makes me uncomfortable and i've said that 12 times now so if you guys have anything to add about stick please do so so i don't say more um triggering
2: things is anyone gonna defend him
0: i Mm. I won't defend him not being an asshole because he's an asshole but i like the character Yeah, I I find the character to be really interesting, and I find it an interesting way to have a hero sort of learn about himself. Because what you would normally expect from a story like this after a child loses his parents is you would expect, like, this mentor to be some sort of father figure and to bring him up. And then in the story, then the mentor somehow gets into trouble and, like... The The hero has to go save him. like it's like a, you can see the blueprint there, and I kind of enjoy that they are going against that blueprint and going a different direction. That's not saying I enjoy child abuse or whatever it is that stick does, but yeah. I think I find the story a little bit more interesting. I also think Robbie stumbled upon something that is very instrumental is and it's that this episode and the next episode are two sides of a coin, uh-huh. and they are i in my opinion intentionally so
2: mm-hmm. yeah. Uh-huh. And I'll, I'll get into that in a little bit, but um, I I had not considered until this moment that it was intentional. But I think you're right.
3: I feel really dumb for not picking up on that because I watched these episodes literally back to back yesterday.
2: Yeah, I th- I <laughs> think be... it's interesting how this came together. As I think this these two episodes as one episode of our podcast. I think works out very it's nicely. Perfect. Yeah.
1: Yeah. To be fair, like maybe not everybody watched seven and eight back to back. You know, right. they might have split it up differently. But sure.
2: Right. Um, I think everything you said was interesting, Peach, and I definitely agree, but one thing I wanted to bring up, because I know you've gone that far, and I think we're not going to spoil this by bringing it up, but, like, my memory is that I feel like I liked Stick by the Defenders, like, not, like, found him a character I related to a lot and thought was wholesome and good, but I feel like I cared about him by Defenders. Do you even remember? Did you... I. I don't remember
1: specifically what he does, but I do remember like by the end of the amount of Daredevil that I watched, I didn't I didn't dislike him. To be fair, we've talked about this. I think on all of the Daredevil episodes, I don't really remember much beyond the first two episodes. Um, so, like, I'm sure when I see things, I will remember them as they're happening. But if you just see this episode seven with Sticks' like introduction to the show, and that's all you saw. Yeah, you would probably not go very far beyond this guy is a bag of dicks, and I don't right. like him
2: very much. Right. Mm-hmm. And I don't... Um, I can't think of comic books stick quite clearly. Like, I'm aware of his existence, but can't think of them clearly. Since Frank Miller invented him, I think Frank Miller invented him. I'm assuming he's an asshole there, too. But yes. Like,
3: um, go ahead. I read a. I read a review of the episode after watching it, and and part of it was just saying... Wow, of all the characters in the show, he's the one that's most just okay. pulled off the page and dropped on the show.
2: Got it. Good. To, that doesn't shock me too much, I guess, considering the author. Yeah. but um, but then like, but I like Splinter. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I have nothing else past that other than man, Splinter's kind of cool, and Stick is not.
3: Yeah, Splinter's a lot nicer.
1: <laughs> well. Stick's a rat bastard. <laughs>
0: uh, uh, <clears throat> that makes sense.
3: I mean, uh, Scott Glenn, who plays him, does a really good job. Yes. Uh, like I remember at the end of the episode, I was like, I hope he comes back at some point. I figured he would because I know that Stick is a is an important figure yes. in the Daredevil mythology, yes. especially since the Frank Miller days. And well, I spoiled it. Clearly, no, 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 that's fine. <laughs> I, I think I, I assumed he came back. And I think I knew somewhere in the back of my mind that he might have been in Defenders. Um, And I, uh, with the weird bit at the end of the episode when he's talking to someone, which um, while looking at stuff about comic book stick, uh, I saw a comic book panel that looked almost exactly like that last shot of the episode. And I have gathered, and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong, I don't really care, that he's talking to somebody named Stone. Which is just hilarious that you've got stick and stone. Um well, they break breaking bones. bones. Yeah. But, uh...
1: <laughs> I don't remember who
2: that guy is. Yeah.
0: It's stone and he never shows back up.
3: Oh,
2: okay. <laughs>
3: oh. Okay. Yeah, I completely
2: forgot that scene entirely. So that probably spoils.
0: Mm-hmm. I think they had bit. plans for something that they never actually went through with.
3: Yeah, that felt like a post credit scene. That felt like yeah, a Marvel uh-huh. post credit scene. That's, I think that's what its design was, but teasing something bigger. I'm like, this probably won't even come back until Defenders or something.
0: Nope, doesn't come back at all.
3: Huh? Even better. Um, but but yeah, I thought he was an as much of a jerk as he was. I was like, well, you know, I'd like him to come back because the actor's doing a good job of uh, of uh, you know he's an interesting character to watch, and I like you know having him as part of as part of the show.
0: Yeah, I think because he is playing the character so well, that's why we dislike him so much. Because yeah. he's doing a really good job of being an asshole. Mm-hmm.
2: Also, something I want to acknowledge less for y'all and more for anyone listening that has, listened to, that has watched the entirety of the Daredevil arc, um, Stick has a quick throwaway line when he's in the orphanage of, where he asks, what about the mother she did? She did? And the nun says, "Well, no, that's another story." On rewatch, after seeing the whole show, that line hits. You will find out why some someday when you get through the whole series. But
3: okay, yeah, because I was like, "All right, well, there's clearly more yes, story." That there. line is important. <laughs> All right. Oh, good to know. <laughs> but it
2: takes a long time to pay off.
3: Oh boy. <laughs> I'm going to have to go through and watch the rest yeah. of these shows after you this know, I think. You know,
0: it's so crazy that you don't notice these things. Yeah, I absolutely didn't. I'm currently um rewatching The Legend of Korra. And this is a mm. little tangential, but I think yeah, it, I are. think it um I think it I think it ties in. But there is a villain in the fourth season named Kuvira, right? And I felt like she showed up out of nowhere when I first watched it. Watching it now, they put her in everywhere in the third season she's everywhere she's in newspapers she's in scenes she's everywhere, but they just don't talk about her, but she's there, and it's so crazy to me because I felt like she came out of nowhere, but she was there the whole time
1: so you know what I find interesting and and I don't know exactly the lore on this now that you're mentioning it, but i i am I am sixty percent confident. I, I think book three and book, f- book four of Korra aired like back to back when they were on Nickelodeon, when they were first premiering, because there's a lot of Kuvira in season three. And usually there's not villain overlap in shows like this. No. There's a lot of Kuvira like subtly in the background of season three. And there's a lot of Zaheer in season four, uh, a lot more of Zaheer than you expect to be at least. And it's weird that they intertwine. It's almost like two books are one Twice as long season.
0: Yeah. We need to I do an it. avatar podcast because I have so much to talk about. I also, I need to go on a soapbox to talk about how Korra is a really, really good show, and in my opinion, almost rivals the first Avatar. And some of the characters are some of the best. I am Bolin. gonna put money. I'm gonna get some hate for this. I'm gonna put money and say that Bolin is the best character Avatar has ever created. Huh. I okay. like him that much. I find him so relatable.
1: You he are so Bolin, awesome. Eduardo. I
0: know! <laughs> Bolin,
1: Bolin is one of my favorite and Varric is one of my favorite.
0: Both of them are very good. I think yeah. by the time they did... We're so off track. But By the time they did Korra, they really figured out what their style was, and they were just able to kind of perfect it. And maybe the story doesn't go in the direction that some people want, but I find I enjoyed the side stories a lot more in Core than I necessarily did in the first one, where in the first one, I enjoyed the major arc more than I did yeah. their side stories. Fair except, enough. Except for a few, like the, the one where they do the play with the avatar and well
1: the the major arc in avatar feels like it takes place over the course of three seasons whereas right. the arcs and Korra are like literally four books and it seems like there's four completely separate arcs also it doesn't Korra seem just like just there's like... one over overarching path you know
3: Well, that's part and i haven't watched the shows but i think i heard that that's partly because they didn't know how long they were going to get yeah so it's one of those yeah. shows where like well we need to have a good ending Okay, we got another season. Well, oh, we need to have a good ending. Oh, we got another season. Oh, yeah.
0: Also, the I think people don't rush. like Cora because Cora just gets dunked on the whole series. Just constantly, it's Cora just getting just dumpstered, and people don't like stories where the heroes don't win all the time.
1: Yeah, she does get dunked on a lot. A she lot. She does a lot of cool stuff, though.
0: She does a ton of cool stuff, which I think is the, like, it's the kind of the point of the show, this sort of, like, <clears throat> failure and, like, I don't know. People have a lot of problems with movies about failure, but Hey, let's uh, let's get back to Daredevil. Star Wars, <laughs> Star
3: Lord, right now. Listen, we
1: spent we spent half of the stick episode not interrupting you, so we need this time. We need to fill the time. <laughs>
3: yeah,
0: God, I could talk about Avatar like all day long.
1: Like, same. Good
0: God. Huh. Um, also, Zahir kind of be spitting hard facts though, because he was like, "What if?" What if we didn't have world leaders? What if the world leaders are the problem? What if, you know? And I'm like, man, this man's Ooh, right now. Hang Anarchism, on a yeah. Hang, <laughs> hang on, <laughs> hang on a sec.
1: What if? Yeah, he's you should. Right? You should watch that, Robbie. Zahir is like. So the people that are like Thanos was right. I'm gonna say this twice this episode too. Thanos was right. Blah blah blah. Uh, I mean, I think you might like Zahir. Thanos is right, people. I think you might like him, and I think you might. He might be a little closer to right than Thanos I think
0: Zaheer makes makes way more sense than Thanos.
1: Yeah.
2: Because he's only
0: talking about being like, what if we destroy all these oppressive governments that have just been like screwing people over? Wait, no,
2: hold on, I'm in. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Get through Avatar so you can watch Korra. What are you doing?
0: Yeah, I agree. Both of these are very good shows.
1: We are going to start up the Avatar uh, podcast just so that we can make you guys watch this show.
2: I, agree. I am halfway through season 2.
1: And it's been like 6 months. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're going at one episode a week.
0: <laughs> They're 20 minute episodes, Robbie. What do you do? <laughs> I know. I guess we'll go back to talking about Daredevil. While <laughs> working on Mrs. Cardenas' apartment, Karen asks for information on who busted up the tenants, suspecting a connection to UAC. On her way out of Mrs. Cardenas' apartment, Karen is attacked by the same men Cardenas described, but is rescued by Foggy wielding a baseball. Technically, it's a softball. And Bat, who had <laughs> been following her.
2: Yeah, you're right. It was a softball.
0: On the docks, Nobu and Yakuza are waiting for the arrival of the black sky. Murdoch begins taking them out while Stick assembles a bow and arrow. The crate Nobu is waiting on has a young child chained up inside. Murdoch realizes this and that Stick is going to kill the boy. He deflects the arrow before he can strike the target, alerting the Yakuza to their presence. Nobu is able to escape with the boy, but Stick disappears. In a flashback, Stick continues to train Maddie both how to fight and how to focus his abilities. Murdoch is starting to show affection for Stick, making him a bracelet from an ice cream wrapper when they met. Stick destroys the bracelet, tells Maddie his training is over, and leaves. All right, Robbie. Make the most controversial take and say that this is the most boring episode and it wasn't episode three, so I can disagree with you.
2: Yeah, I think this episode is more boring than than episode three. Um, You guys talked about how boring that one was, and like... Also, let me say that I don't find any episode in this that boring. But I, I was more bored during this than season three and I, or episode three. And I think a lot of that is just... We've had... Remember we kept using the word ramp up or the phrase ramp up like maybe two or three times last episode? Yeah, um, that was fun. And we got... Right, we got that ramp. And then just we get this standstill here. Now, what I will say is while I, I don't think this episode is that interesting... As a, co- as a full episode. I think it's individual parts. I just don't think it's good as the sum of its parts, but its parts are good. I do think Stick is a good character. What happens in this episode is important. It's just the whole episode of it doesn't compel me because there's not that much going on in between. It kind of forgets about the larger story that's going on. It There's not any really interesting set pieces. I don't find Stick to be compelling enough of a character to basically be... The central theme of an episode. He, he's perfectly compelling enough to be a part of the the series. Just not. I don't love this whole episode about him. I didn't find the flashbacks that interesting. It's not that I think it's a bad episode. It's just that I think it was a big letdown after um, the episodes we had right before, and just kind of stalled the the season right while it was going. Um, eh, that's fine. I I guess. It fits well in the larger whole, but it's just not great on its own. That's what I will say, is there are no I'm in the minority, because today I checked the IMDb rankings, and this is one of the highest rated episodes. So, I'm on a limb here. I will say, the other episode we're doing today is the third highest rated episode. Um, uh, Just so I can tell you guys, the next episode, episode 9, is the second highest, and the season finale is the highest rated episode, so... um and i think i think they might have their top three correct but anyway um that's my feeling i just thought it was interesting i spent a lot of the episode reflecting on wow they all disliked season or episode three but this is the one i don't like Uh, and i also (laughs) think it's it's as we'll go on i'll bring up the next episode when we get to it but i just i don't know i was bored i didn't hate there was no scene that i hated it just didn't amount to an episode that i loved eduardo you can directly contrast me (laughs) i
0: disagree chris what were you Mm -hmm. gonna say
3: i was gonna say that i i I could say i could sort of agree with robbie in that the placement of this episode it's like all of a sudden it takes a left turn into oh we have to talk a bit more about his backstory now yeah that might be Um, really so so maybe like if i mean in an alternate way of telling the story if maybe that had been done earlier in the season maybe you would have liked it more uh, but it does feel like it sort of like puts a pause on the story that has been building up so that we can go into some you know psychology of matt murdoch and you know how did he learn how to fight and, and then and a lot of other things that feel like it might be table setting for stuff down the road but stuff that feels like it might not be a part of this season i'm just guessing but there's like a lot of mystical stuff in this episode or something mm-hmm. that's implied mystical. And it's like, yeah, but this is going to be the Kingpin story. And uh, it doesn't feel like that is necessarily a part of this season's story. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it'll all tie together in the end. Um, but it does feel like it's all of a sudden telling a little bit of a different story, uh, than the rest of the season. So I, I enjoyed the episode, but, but I could see that maybe being an issue with, uh, that a viewer might have.
0: I can agree with this episode not being as exciting as some of the ones that we've recently watched and especially not as exciting as the next episode we're about to talk about. I cannot agree with this episode's more boring than episode three. <laughs> I would have rather watched a, like paint on a wall dry than watching episode <laughs> three. That's how I felt about that episode. That episode... Literally nothing happened. At least in this one, if you're bored, there's at least a couple fight scenes to kind of get you through and some exciting moments and some interesting storylines. Episode three was literally dialogue, the episode. Which is <laughs> why guy I got dislike
2: it. through his head.
0: The what? And a guy got rebar through his head. Sure, at the very end. You had to wait <laughs> to the whole episode for literally anything to happen. <laughs> at least in this episode they kind of dispersed things to kind of keep your focus and keep you interested and maybe the way that i'm describing it is a little pedestrian because all i'm talking about is action but i think it's important in your action drama series to have maybe just a little bit of action thrown through i don't know maybe Mm. i'm crazy but i think episode three is by far the worst episode of this season personally but also i don't believe in states rights so whatever
1: you know what i think (laughs) I think Amon was a pretty good villain too and he had a few points he had a pretty a, a couple pretty good points too about the state of the world
2: yeah you know? I agree did you ever read the Goosebumps book where <laughs> they were in the woods and it was like hide and seek with monsters
3: oh yeah the beast from the east yeah
2: yeah. That was All right. a good one. <laughs>
0: uh, present day Murdoch finds Stick waiting for him in his apartment The two argue over Stick trying to kill a child, with Stick saying he was a weapon. Murdoch is still mad about Stick leaving when Matt was a child, and Stick says he needed a weapon, but Maddie wanted a father. Stick further tells Murdoch that he already killed the Black Sky while Murdoch was distracted, and Matt attacks his mentor. The two are incredibly evenly matched in martial arts, and their fight wrecks the apartment. After breaking out of a headlock with a backflip, Murdoch is able to knock Stick down with a pair of vicious kicks to the face. I think a little part you might have left out of this, Robbie, and I think mm-hmm. it's an important one, is Stick handing the. What are they? Like the batons? Oh, right, right, right. right. To, yes. to Matt, because those are going to become very important to his character yes, and the a, way that he fights. Uh-huh. He, Beat he dem- stick. Yeah, Stick gives him some sticks. Uh, he demands Stick leave the city, and Stick laughs, saying, Maybe there's hope for you yet, and leaves. After Stick leaves, Murdoch finds the bracelet having fallen out of Stick's bag. Adult Maddie Murdoch holds back tears. Chris There's a lot going on in this episode.
3: It really is. I I, I touched on a lot of it already how it's like how it feels like there're like three different subplots that don't actually have to do with, you know, or it feels like they're setting the table for future stories. Um I, I really don't know, and we we've talked a bit about how Stick is just kind of an abusive jerk. Um, Matt clearly wants a father figure, after having lost lost his father, and that is the thing that convinces Stick to go. And Stick is the one who's telling him, "Oh, you can't have friends. You can't have tables. You can't have bed sheets. You can't have bed sheets. Uh, you should be sleeping on the sandpaper." Uh, there's only the war. <laughs> you know. The war. Um, <laughs> but but then we find out, oh, he kept that bracelet all the time. So are we supposed to feel like, oh, he does care. Because he also did just kill a little boy. And I don't know if this little boy is like psychic or his blood can be made into a super potion or I don't know. Um, I'm just guessing what why he hyper potion oh yeah. Spoiled. Um, a full restore um, <laughs> a paralyzed heal
1: yeah.
3: <laughs> hope you have burn heal uh, yeah and he reports to a mysterious guy who apparently never comes back so I yeah it, 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 it just to me it felt like a weird detour uh, and I want to see more of stick because I'd like to figure out how I'm supposed to feel about him. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. He's not necessarily a bad guy, but he doesn't I seem the like same, a good guy
1: either. I had the same feeling about coleslaw when I first tried it. I wasn't really sure, so I kept eating coleslaw to see if I liked it, and eventually I decided I did. Oh. So I don't know if Stick will be coleslaw for you, but I guess you'll find out. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they really they really shut everybody up. You guys not like Cole?
2: I don't on? know, I feel like I should have something to add, but I just covered it. I feel
3: bad. I don't disagree. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it kind of ties into a lot of stuff we've already talked about. Um, but yeah, that that um, the the kicker of that scene with, with him fighting the bracelet, I, 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 I wasn't sure. It played kind of corny, it played kind of unearned, and yes did you feel? did you feel like like that was
1: one of those moments like from our last episode where you know um rosario dawson asked matt what was around him and he was like oh here's all the things in this toolbox near me like do you think it's weird that he 20 something ish years later would recognize that that's the same bracelet that he made stick when he was a kid, or is that not that far-fetched? Oh, assume he pop. probably
3: doesn't carry around any random paper bracelets <laughs> that if he's carrying around a paper bracelet, it's probably from the ice cream. Yeah, I, yeah, I guess, guess yeah. but
1: yeah, but he, he had to find it on the table too. That means he yeah. sensed it on the table. Yeah.
3: <laughs> what
0: I don't like is they have this whole scene that they flash back to where it's Maddie talking about how he hears everything. I could hear, Meowing, I can hear things across the block, I can hear all this. And then suddenly when he's in front of old frail Leland Owsley, man who's like 70 years old, a the sound of a stick blocks out the sound of literally everything else, and he can't hear a taser being taken out of a pocket and then immediately tasing it. So
3: you think he would have felt the change in the ions? Just
2: it tastes that- like electricity.
3: <laughs> I could be wrong, but I
2: interpreted that as he knew it was sticks, stick, and like it's like he hyper focused on stick and just wasn't paying attention because he's still sloppy and dumb.
3: Yeah, that's that's kind of how I did how I read that scene too.
2: um No, but your your the emotion over the the ice cream bracelet being unearned, absolutely. Like I don't, I didn't roll my eyes, but I just like I didn't i didn't buy into
3: this to murdoch's emotion over that like it was a lot I'll of be honest, i expected show. him to find it as soon as as soon as he gave him the bracelet and mm-hmm. he and he crumpled it up i said oh i bet he's gonna find that bracelet and he's gonna be like oh stick does care <laughs> it just it, it was predictable and cliche and cliche isn't always bad but yeah sometimes it is
2: yeah Especially with, as Eduardo pointed out, this mentor-mentee relationship is very much not cliche.
3: Yeah.
0: Which is what I enjoy about it. I yeah, mean, no, I, 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 I mean, agree with that. I can enjoy watching it and not enjoy the way it's going, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. I find it, it interesting. It does. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely.
3: If, if the only thing that you could like watching was shows about good, happy people, People all the time then Care Bears would be the number one show in the world, and uh...
1: the Good Place, the Good Place,
3: yeah. Well, the Good Place is actually
2: Sean's not happy. Yeah, yeah,
1: <laughs> Sean is not happy. That's true.
2: He's a He's Sean's version of happy.
0: Karen introduces Foggy to Yurik, and the two show him their work on trying to connect the crime conspiracy and their questions about the man in the mask. Stick meets with a mysterious scarred figure, explaining that he killed the Black Sky. And that he has no idea of Murdoch if Murdoch is ready for when the doors open and the credits roll.
3: Yeah, the doors. Um, I did like that, Last you know, on
0: night. sorry, <laughs> <The
3: doors. clears throat> on, on Ben's conspiracy board where he uses playing cards. Uh, he's used a jack to represent Matt Murdoch, just like his dad, Batlin Jack. Oof, nice. But also he drew a cool little mask on the jack which, <laughs> which, made, which made the uh, card look like the Dread Pirate Roberts. Yes, it is. Yes. <laughs> I
1: mean, yeah. he doesn't know that Matt's not a
3: pirate. Maybe I'll kill you in the morning.
0: <laughs> in the next episode, Wilson Fisk wakes up from a restless sleep, looks at White Rabbit in a snowstorm, makes himself breakfast, and prepares for the day. He opens a drawer full of cufflinks, only to choose the same pair he always wears. When he looks at himself in the mirror, he sees himself as a boy, covered in blood. At the offices of Nelson and Murdoch, Foggy and Karen tell Matt they are investigating Union Allied. Matt angrily asks them to stop, but they convince him they can't. Fisk and Nobu argue about the death of the black side. Also, I think that's I know we haven't it hasn't been brought up yet, but I think that's a tired trope. Is the friend who dislikes the secret, the hero, when they're the hero, uh, like, uh-huh. and is telling that to the hero and their secret identity. I feel like I've seen that uh-huh. in almost every superhero film or, like, oh. representation ever. <laughs> Flash.
3: I wrote, yeah, my, my, the third note, uh, the second note I wrote down was ah, uh, the Time Hunter tradition of unknowingly shit talking the superhero in front of his secret identity. <laughs> <laughs> So oh, I am right there with you. I hate this guy in the mask. Don't you hate him, Matt? He's just some sort of vigilante. He should let the
0: police
1: do their job.
3: Yeah. All uh, terror, no is.
1: Man, I'm glad that I'm not actually a vigilante, because if you if one of you guys did that, I would break immediately. I, I have would no poker. Fucking,
0: face. Yeah, I know. I'd like show my mask real quick. I'd be like, What I'd be you like, say it again? Say yeah, it again. I'd be
1: like, no, he's really
0: cool. What are you talking about? <laughs> I, I heard Batman
2: was, was really cool.
0: <laughs> Fisk and Nobu argue about the death of the Black Sky. Nobu blames Fisk, and Fisk apologizes, afterwards telling Wesley the Yakuza are a necessary evil to their plans. I find this so interesting, the way that they sort of flip Wilson Fisk's... his, like, position in this whole, like criminal organization because at first it it sort of makes it feel like fisk is the leader right like he is the one pulling all the strings but in this episode you kind of find out he's not really the leader at all he's sort of at most a partner and at least a thing that the rest of them use Uh to help get their own their own like uh agendas across but he is not the leader of this this conglomerate he's, of, of evil groups.
1: He, he's like the project manager, basically. Like he's got all the other people doing the specific work and he's just kind of like overseeing it.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And he and takes over. For, yeah. He takes over for the Russians doing the delivering only because he murders the Russian brothers and drives them away. Just like a, okay, not just like, but similar to what a project manager would do <laughs> if, somebody on your project wasn't able to complete their task you would step in and do it for them if you were able to like i that's kind of the role that i see him in
0: right well and i also think he shows fear right yes we talk about it here with nobu because he doesn't if this was anyone else he'd be like kiss my ass do what i say but with nobu he's like look i'm really sorry stuff happens we're going to see Madame Gao in a little bit, and he does the same thing. Yes. He's terrified mm-hmm. the of it.
3: The Gao relationship yeah. is really interesting. Yeah, I loved that scene, but we'll get there, obviously. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did enjoy uh-huh. and it, may, I might have written this line down wrong, but when Nobu decides to speak English, and uh, or because Wesley's translating for him, and he goes, he questions the validity of your position. And then Nobu says, I think it is a piss and a shit. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe I wrote it down wrong, but the phrase a piss and a shit. Yeah. Tickled me. <laughs> it, was, it was a delightful turn of phrase.
0: <laughs> in a flashback, young Wilson Fisk's father is borrowing money from organized crime to run for city council and is emotionally abusive of his wife and Wilson.
2: Real quick. Back in the present. Oh, good. Um, Something that is, I think, and, and this is really Soundlord's uh, department, but something that I think was fantastic camera work is the way they um, had the shot when his father is, is hammering the nail into the sign and they really focus on that hammer. And so then that puts that hammer in your brain. Like, obviously, when you're watching it the first time, it doesn't make you think, oh, the hammer is going to be important. But it definitely like. And then later, it did right. put a hammer in the. Brain. And on rewatch, that
3: shot is jarring. It's it's. I did not know what was coming, mm-hmm. but I remember watching like, "Wow, that hammer! Like he's driving the nail right through the yep. forehead of his own picture." Yep. And I was like, "Oh, that feels significant." Yep. I didn't know how. I didn't know how literal it was, but yeah. But yeah, I was like, "Oh, that camera shot was mm-hmm. was very deliberate." I'm like, "All right, what does what does this mean?" And we found out. Sorry. How dare you talk on this podcast? Yeah, how dare you come in with an insightful observation?
0: <laughs> Who do you think you
1: are? I was about to make a penis joke. How dare you?
0: <laughs> Back in the present. Be... Oh, go ahead. The
1: hammer is my penis. That was going to be <laughs> <laughs>
3: These are not the hammer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Back in the present, Detective Blake awakens from his coma after being shot. Fisk and Wesley meet with his partner, Hoffman, to bribe him into silencing Blake. Technically, we paid someone else to shoot
3: him. That is such a Marvel line. (laughs) You shot him, technically.
0: (laughs) Hoffman expresses that he can't do that to his friend, and Fisk asks him how much. In the hospital, Hoffman meets with his friend ostensibly to give him a meatball sub, but instead injects him with poison. Matt Murdock arrives, having learned of Blake's awakening through the news. He incapacitates Hoffman and tells Blake he is dying to tell him all he knows about Wilson Fisk. Fisk? Fisk. When Blake's security detail arrives, Blake is dead, and the man in the mask is gone. Robbie, Mm -hmm. you, you tend to like this flashback episode a little bit more than you like the previous flashback episode is that correct yeah
2: absolutely and i i feel even more interested i feel even more interested in this revelation since we've been discussing how well these two episodes fit together and i know that everyone kind of disagreed with me on the previous episode but y'all are right now that you're pointing out these two episodes are fairly similar just one's focusing on hero one's focusing on villain kind of a pause in the middle of the of the uh, season um, and our are heavy flashback episodes but I like this one so much more and it's it's still just a bunch of flashbacks. but it is also still peppering in, advancing the larger plot um, having some some dramatic moments and the reason that I wanted to bring this up here is because this is this heel turn is I think a really big deal of getting Hoffman like really just reinforcing just how corrupted the police force is here of getting a guy to kill his best friend over a price tag um. And his longtime partner, and it was sad. Yes, I thought. it's depressing. Like,
3: like because I've known him for 30, 35 right. years, and then when Fisk says, "And how much are each of those years worth?" To yes, in round figures, mm-hmm. I'm like, "Oh, that was just chilling." Yeah, that was... Absolutely.
2: And and I think that scene alone is better than anything in the Stick Stick episode. It advances some of what's going on. It fleshes out some character. It's, um hugely emotional and stressful and i hated blake but like that's you remember a couple episodes i, I mentioned kind of i kind of spoiled a little bit that like hoffman's gonna do some crappy stuff and like this is the crappy stuff mm-hmm. um yeah it, it's and then and there's a little bit more you know that we've already talked about wilson and his interaction with nobu and his interaction with Gao and um the way the way they flesh out a Villain relationship on its own, Eduardo rightly rightfully points out that the stick relationship is interesting because it is not cliche. Conversely, and and I think again we can talk about duality, yin and yang, two sides of the coin with these two episodes. Conversely, this episode I feel like is a fairly cliche take on the the sympathetic villain, and yet I think it's a mm-hmm. great does a great job of that, and it doesn't just flesh out what makes um, Wilson Fisk sympathetic. It also uh, fleshes out Vanessa's relate his relationship with Vanessa, or don't I wouldn't say fleshes out, advances his relationship with Vanessa quite a bit. And like I alluded to, this Vanessa is not the end of the Spider Verse Vanessa. I think at this point you can definitely see this Vanessa is absolutely going into you know the the bad guy scene um, willingly, but it does flesh out his relationship with Wesley. And what a thing that is cliche. Is the you know the right hand man is the the bad guy's best friend, but in this case, like that is like especially in this episode, you see that he's more he's not just a uh, an employee. He's my friend. Like that statement is really resonates here. Like Wesley is his friend. Wesley takes care of him. That's going to be important. Um, and it's mm-hmm. it comes up very well here. And yet at the same time, all of that trying to make Wilson Fisk um, you know a little bit sympathetic. Uh, getting getting him the girl and getting him the best friend but you he never loses his edge so despite all this cliche i think in this case it works really well and it's really compelling and it and the episode still has plenty of going on i think the 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 meeting between um between the man in the mask and and yurik is a really interesting scene and it's good seeing those two get together it Despite being a flashback episode, I think this episode just does a lot more to still be interesting and not be a complete pause on where we're going in this show. So um, I just, and, and I'm not going out on a limb here because I can tell that everyone loved this episode, but I just thought it did it way more successfully than episode seven. Um, that's all I got. I liked it. And I, I, and I didn't just like it, but I liked it in direct contrast to the episode that we just
3: discussed. you know talking about Wesley they, there are two moments that really stood out to me as far as demonstrating his his affection for Fisk I, w- I want to say and it's early on when they're, they're discussing nobu and and he says I just don't like the way he speaks to you uh-huh. he 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 seems like offended on his behalf like you don't talk to my friend that way and- uh-huh. um, and then later on when Fisk has had his meltdown and he's up into the tea table and um, Wesley walks in and he goes, if I needed you I would have called you. He goes, I don't think you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, he says, I don't think you he goes, I've known you for a long time and I, I don't think you do call me every time you need me. And then he gestures and, and brings Vanessa in. It's weird how heartfelt that is when these people are evil. uh uh-huh. <laughs> yeah it's like again it is genuine affection it's not it's much more than just oh i'm you know waiting and and i suppose that there are still many ways to go but it does not come across as i'm the henchman and i'm waiting for my time in the spotlight Mm -hmm. it is i work for this man because Mm -hmm. i believe in this man Mm -hmm. and i care about him
0: I think it's interesting, and I I think you guys would both agree, or not both, but the three of you would agree with me. When I say that villains are more compelling when they believe their own message. I truly think this character, this portrayal of Wilson Fisk, does believe he's doing the right thing to help the city. And because he believes that, it makes his compare- character more compelling. Mm-hmm. He's not this evil guy who's pretending to be good to then one day go, ha-ha, I was evil all along. Right. No, he like yeah. actually believes what he's doing and is taking the wrong means. And you're shown why he does that because that's exactly mm-hmm. what his father did.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And it it makes it more compelling that way rather than he is evil because he is evil.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I guess I just find that more interesting. No, then.
2: I agree. And
3: then Malik and I cursed. think yeah.
2: that what you're saying about him at this point in time in this story just makes where he goes as the series goes on again without spoiling anything for Soundlord even more interesting. Like there, there is there's a moment that I'm stuck on that I can't wait until we talk about that. What we're saying about Wilson Fisk okay. right now just makes that moment just. Such a resonating moment. And we'll get there in in soon. Okay. But I'm excited.
0: Fisk and Leland Owsley meet in the shop of Melvin Potter, where Potter is fitting Owsley for an armored suit like the one Fisk wears to protect Owsley after his run-in with the man in the mask. Wesley breaks the news to Fisk of what happened in the hospital, but confirms Hoffman blamed Blake's murder on the man in the mask. In a flashback, Fisk's mother helps him feel better after losing a fight to a oh. neighborhood bully who mocks- Before
3: we move on, I'm sorry. I have to ask Robbie something about uh-huh. that scene with Potter because uh-huh. you're, you're the person I go to for these things. Yep. Um, the suit that Owlsley was wearing, was that in any way a reference to the, the Owls costume? Okay. I tried to figure and, that
2: out once and could not find any leads on it. Okay. Because, yeah. I mean, just the color on it, I was like, that might
3: yeah. be something. Yeah, I couldn't
2: figure and, out. I, I looked into that, um, but I couldn't find anything about it.
3: And I'm pretty sure about this, but were those stilts in the background? Oh, they might have been. So is that a reference to, to Stilt Man? Yeah, it might have been. Okay. Because um, they're like these two like, long metal... Yeah, like looking thing that's just kind of in the background. We'll we'll see more of that workshop, so I'll start looking. Okay, all right. Sorry, they mean to interrupt, but, no, but no. I, I you mean did mean to interrupt. Darf, that's what we clearly. do on this podcast. I did mean to interrupt. It's true, <laughs> but I felt bad about it.
0: Same. Fisk, Fisk's father insists Wilson shouldn't be coddled and takes him out to teach him a lesson by helping him beat up the bully with a bat. <laughs> We're gonna get what into a, a more gruesome dad. scene later, but this is the scene that made me most uncomfortable.
3: Yes. Mm-hmm.
2: It's just, Mm-hmm.
0: just awful.
2: Mm-hmm. The, an, an adult beating up a—I mean, he's a big kid, but an adult beating up a child is
3: not. And and, and yeah. Ugh. yeah, yeah, and encouraging his son
2: to kick him while yes. he's down. Yes. Yeah, I didn't put it in the notes, but the kick him again, kick him again line here is Mm. an
3: important thing. There's a reason it gets called back later. It's uh... Yeah.
0: I would even argue that Fisk and Matt are so similar, and they're being shown this way because both of them are trying very hard not to be Matt is trying hard not to be fit or not to be Stick. Fisk is trying very hard not to be his father, but they're both doing things that exactly those guys would do. Mm-hmm. Matt asks Stick not to hurt people, not to um, kill people, blah blah blah. But Matt every night is constantly brutalizing every person he sees mm-hmm. and tortures them and and does whatever he needs to do by whatever means necessary. So is he really any better than Stick?
3: Yeah, he clears his conscience. He keeps his conscience somewhat clear, as clear as a Catholic can, by uh, by saying that he, you know at least I'm not killing them.
0: Right. <laughs> While Fisk doesn't want to turn his turn into his father, he doesn't want to be a bully. But that's all he is. He's a gigantic bully. He bullies mm-hmm. everybody he sees, and you can tell he gets frustrated, which we're gonna see when he can't bully people. When he can't bully Madame Gao, he gets frustrated, mm-hmm. and so. These guys are trying to run away from the image of their father figures. We're going to talk, call Stick Matt's Father Figure for now because I think Mm -hmm. Matt has his father to then give another perspective on, which is why Matt ended up different than Fisk. Um, Whereas Fisk only had his father, and his father was a bad guy. Mm -hmm. In the present, Fisk awakens from the nightmare of the memory and begins his breakfast routine. Before Re- Wesley interrupts him to, go, uh, to tell him Madame Gao is on her way to meet him. In a tense meeting, Gao tells Fisk everyone is angry with him because he is getting sloppy and emotional. She tells him to get his house in order. This language change thing that they do here is the coolest thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think it is such a fun, interesting scene to watch. Uh-huh. To watch her speak English and then her speak Chinese and be like, I know, or I'm sorry, Mandarin, and then be like, I know you speak Mandarin, and then switch to Japanese, and then switch back to English, and then back to Chinese, or uh, Mandarin, excuse me. Uh, it's amazing. It's so yeah. cool.
3: And I couldn't tell. Did Wesley know that Fisk speaks all these other languages? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Because, yeah. Like,
0: I assume he knows. I, it seemed like he was pissed that
2: she figured it out
1: yeah mm-hmm. yeah
2: well and i know so a common thing from a lot of athletes that um don't speak english as a native language is they use an interpreter because they just don't they feel more comfortable with someone else being the one that might screw up their words i, I would feel yeah. the same way honestly i don't mm-hmm. speak a second language but um if i did i would still probably rather have an interpreter and i just didn't i just. i interpreted it as being that relationship like Fisk can speak the language, but he would rather oh. Wesley be the one that flubs up words and, and oh, Wesley. I, was thought it, parallel.
1: I thought it was a ploy. I, I thought it was more
2: oh, like yeah, I, I don't you. want them
1: Yeah, it was I don't want them to know that I can understand oh, them. Yeah, okay, I yeah, want
3: them to think yeah, that yeah, yeah, right. I'm
2: in the room. Because She much. calls him, yeah. Yeah,
3: yeah you're right. You're because right, it's right. the wise man that pretends to be a fool or yeah. something like yeah, that. You're right.
0: It's just cool. Mm -hmm. after she leaves, an angry Fisk flips the dining room table and yells at Wesley to leave. In another flashback, Wilson's father tells him to stare at a white wall to think on the man he wants to be. The texture of the white painted wall looks similar to White Rabbit in a snowstorm. I also find, and Peaches, we're going to get to your point in just a moment, but I also find it interesting this notion of what a man is and what a man should be. I can say with pretty good certainty that no one currently on this podcast is a hyper masculine male i don't think any one of us is what you would probably call a prototypical like if what these guys are describing of what a man is i don't think any of us fall into that
2: because in i didn't place. climb enough trees as what a kid is a man? we obey we don't choose on this podcast exactly
0: <laughs> and i find it interesting that this is like it's like a common theme about what a man should be and what a man shouldn't be and I like tend to disagree anytime someone says what a man should be I disagree with it and it like yeah, pretty much yeah <laughs> and I I don't know I just find it interesting and I think we're an interesting group to talk about it because I don't think anybody and I don't I, hopefully you guys didn't take offense to that no but I don't no, think no, anybody no. here is the the prototypical male out the there the alpha male that they're describing here you know.
1: If I am I don't know about it someone needs <laughs> to tell me none of us are chad
0: Assembly <laughs> <laughs> required sus uh... peaches you feel some yep. sympathy for fisk you you, you got a little soft spot in your heart for him
1: yeah it's weird because i've been thinking about this and like i you could you could rewind the podcast 30 minutes, 40 minutes, however long ago I said everything I said about Stick. And it would be, like, the same thing that I feel about um, Wilson's dad. But, like, I almost think that even though... And I'm glad that you guys had this, like, revelation that these are kind of the same thing happening to a different kid-ish and, like, the outcome being wildly different. I, I don't know. It... I think they're they it's quote unquote the same type of treatment like it's child abuse. But it's it's different enough that one of them makes me more uncomfortable than the other one. One of them I feel like I personally kind of went through a little bit and the other one I don't think it even came close. I never had anyone in my life who would tell me to kick another child while they were down while he watched me do it. Like that's I'm glad that you said that that scene makes you the most uncomfortable because that is a very uncomfortable scene. And basically any other time that, um, you know, he's in a scene, his dad is in a scene. He makes me uncomfortable just the way that he's like constantly drunk and belittling Wilson's mother. And he kind of goes back and forth between like trying to teach Wilson a lesson. And then, um, treating him like shit, like back and forth. And it's weird. And I think that's why, I don't know. There's something about seeing that specific type of abuse that makes me feel more bad for, for Wilson than I do for Matt. I feel bad for both of them and it's not really a contest. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's just, I don't know. It just feels a little bit worse. Um, but when I, when I said the other thing I was going to say twice in this episode, that whole thing where people are like, uh, Thanos was right all along. I don't know. Like, I almost feel like Wilson Fisk is a better example of a person like that. This sort of thing that we're seeing where we see it's because of his upbringing that he, that he is the way that he is. But also what Eduardo mentioned earlier about him actually thinking he's doing the right thing. Like, all of those things combined, I would I would argue that maybe Wilson Fisk is more of the um, he was right all along than Thanos was, although I'm intelligent enough to know both of them are villains and I would never actually gamble on that.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: I don't know, I've, I just. It, it's not very often that you can because this is a trope, too, right? This is the trope where they're telling they're showing you why a bad guy is a bad guy you know like the maleficent movie for for years we just she's this evil sorceress and i'm not saying it was good but for years she's this evil sorceress and now we have this whole movie explaining well here's why she turned evil you should feel bad for her mm-hmm. that almost never works on me like it almost never does but this one was really effective yeah and I think I have more more head nods again, so there's not really any opposition here. Yeah,
2: no. <laughs> yeah, I just I, I like that you kind of reinforce what I was saying earlier. If there's cliche here. It's just the cliche is done really well.
1: Yeah, I
0: agree.
2: Yeah,
1: and it makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, again, just oh
0: yeah, it's yeah. done I'm with uncomfortable. feeling
2: uncomfortable with this episode, fortunately. So.
1: Yeah, great.
2: I'm
0: glad. <laughs> In his apartment in the current day, Wesley arrives. Fisk yells at him, saying he would have ha- called for him if he needed him. Wesley says that isn't necessarily true. And he reveals he brought Vanessa to talk to Fisk. Vanessa tells w- Wilson his friend is worried about him, and to tell her what is going on. T- Fisk, Fisk Wilson. tells Vanessa Wilson the rest whisk. of the night from the previous <laughs> flashback. In an argument, Wilson's father begins assaulting his own wife with a belt until Wilson knocks him out with a hammer. As his father lays unconscious on the floor, an angry Wilson hits him repeatedly. So, I think every time I feel like this episode, these shows can't get more gruesome, they somehow top themselves. I thought... A man getting his head smashed in by a car door was going to be the most uncomfortable I felt, and yet somehow a little boy kicking another child down and also taking a hammer to his father's head because of the trauma inflicted by his father is like a whole nother level of gruesome. Oh yeah, but like
2: a psychological gruesome. And then exactly, and then the meek, somewhat meek, but the the um, scared woman who's done nothing just says gets a stone cold look on her face and says get
3: the saw like i know that messed me up oh man and and i'm not calling the the villain of this story by any means
2: no no no. the the way she just you don't see that coming from her and it's just get the saw which of course is because she has also been pushed but just Mm -hmm. and then yes and then the sound effects
0: but his hand is still moving. Mm-hmm. He's still alive. Mm-hmm. And then she says, get the saw. Well, <sighs> maybe
1: you should have thought about that before he was a major dickwad. Major dickwad.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know how to say this because I'm not, I am not defending murder. And this is a messed up situation. But there's a little bit of the part where the son defends the mother that I'm kind of a little bit of. He had it coming. Yes. He, had it coming.
1: <laughs> he ran into my hammer. Yes. He ran into my hammer seven times.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um. But anyway, Eduardo, you were saying it's messed up. <laughs> I think it's interesting. It's this. It's messed up. The scene, um, particularly the physical abuse that happened before the hammer really really gets to me and it might be the most upsetting thing in this whole season for me but in terms of like the messed up violence the hammer scene didn't get me the way the gore does of of the head ramming on the fence post or the the car door like it's obviously subjective but i, I was surprised to see you saying that
3: this was the show topping it, uh... itself again I th- I feel like physically the gore mm-hmm. definitely I think the car door scene probably takes it that or or that or the fence, um. But this disturbs on another. Yeah, I'll level. agree with that. Uh, like Eduardo said, like it's, it's psychological. Child. Yeah,
1: right. it's because he's a child being pushed to murder. Like mm-hmm. it's just it's, it's that, the it makes it so just cringy mm-hmm. that it takes it to the next level. Maybe two or three more levels.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. It's a child. It's the trauma the child is going through. It's seeing exactly what happened. The scene before. It's like a whole thing. It is. It's messed up. man.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the fact that there is a part of you that completely understands why he snapped. hmm And, you know, there is the he's doing what he can to protect his mother. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of sympathize with that, but still be horrified by it at the same time. And him yelling, you know, "Kick him again! Kick him again!" while he's smashing the hammer mm-hmm. into his father's skull—I mean, uh, that, that just shows how, in that moment, he was not himself. But, but from then on, that is who he is, as much as he wants to deny it, right? I know uh, he says he wears those cufflinks, the cufflinks that his father was wearing the day that he murdered him um, to remind himself, you know, that he, what does he say? He goes, that I'm not cruel for the sake of being cruel like my mm-hmm. father was. But, is, <laughs> right. Can you say that? Right. He doesn't, he that, doesn't think he, a is, he is, but he guy yeah. yeah. Uh, he's he, he needs therapy is what he needs. Not, <laughs> yeah. Uh, He has a lot of things he needs to work through. Uh...
0: After it's done, Wilson's mother consoles him, gives him his father's cufflinks, the same he has been wearing, then works on disposing of the body. Present day, Fisk tells Vanessa he wears the cufflinks to remind himself he is not a monster like his father. Vanessa Vanessa? Vanessa tells him that he's not. Even though he kind of is. Uh, Yeah,
3: she's enabling him now.
0: Chris, you find the fist character and his origin story interesting, right? I do, yeah. It's an interesting story. It's an interesting... I will say this about a lot of the Netflix Marvel shows. They do villains really well. Uh
3: Yeah. The moment that made me saddest... Was when he comes home after getting beaten up, and his mom is being a mother to him, and gets him some cake, and the first thing he says is, "Aren't you going to have some?" And that in that moment, I think that's who Wilson Fisk really is—who's real—who he's really supposed to be, uh-huh. someone who going through all of this. Uh, you know, he's just gotten beat up because these people are. Uh, You know, insulting him, insulting his father. And as his mother's trying to cheer him up with cake, he's like, well, you you should have some too. It's just a genuine moment of pure, like, good-heartedness that he's thinking of others when he's suffering himself. And his father beats that out of him and turns him into this monster that he thinks he isn't. And that's so sad because... I don't know how Fisk made his, his millions of dollars. I mean, clearly, he's a very rich man. Uh, his intentions, as far as we know, are still good. He, he could have made such a difference to his city just by being the good man that he had the chance to be before his father you know, ruined that. Uh, but and before that moment you know that that changed his life, uh, you know that tw- how, how it twisted him a- and I think that is what makes it the most tragic you know a, a truly tragic backstory. It's not just a tragic backstory because it's oh, he got beaten up and that snapped and that made him evil. It's tragic because you see even in just these few scenes the potential for what he could have been. He could have been a very good very positive you know, uh, force. And instead he is somehow trying to fix his city by getting involved with the Yakuza and child trafficking and all these other things. And in the meantime, he's justifying it in his brain is saying, well, I'm, I'm doing this for this. I, you know, I am not part of them, but, but he is, so whether he likes to admit it or not, he is.
0: Yeah. I feel like we've spent these past two episodes talking about these sort of father figures and, and I mean, it's it's interesting the way that we, we kind of discovered it earlier, but these episodes really are two sides of one coin. They really are all about the effects these fathers or father figures had on these children.
3: I mean, this guy, he might have been Wilson's father, but he wasn't his daddy. <laughs> <laughs> That's no point. Mary Poppins. That's a good
0: point. <laughs> The man in the mask meets Ben with Ben Urich, insisting he take down Wilson Fisk and that he still supports Urich in getting information. Let me tell you something. Like I said, and Peaches has said this before, I don't remember what happens in Daredevil at all. And I totally thought Urich was about to get smoked here.
2: Yeah, I knew he wasn't Mm. and still felt like he was going to. Like, I knew what happened in this this scene and was still thinking, nope, here goes Ben, like, in the back of my mind, emotionally and... Yeah. Because
0: mm-hmm. that's how they were playing it. I was like, oh, no, he dropped his keys. That's it. He's done. He's done-zo, boy. It's raining.
2: Mm-hmm. Also, since you paused here, I love this scene. It's it's mm-hmm. just Daredevil and Ben Urich sitting and talking. And it's, I love this scene.
0: Fisk wakes up from another nightmare and looks at White Rabbit, then rolls over to Vanessa, sharing his bed, and goes back to sleep. Ayy. As he sits down to his typical breakfast routine, Fisk is joined by a jubilant Vanessa. Vanessa helps him pick a wardrobe in a lighter shade than the black he had been wearing and new cufflinks that were not his father's.
2: Getting towards white.
0: Ben Yurick's voiceover reads a piece for the Daily Bulletin he is working on to call out Wilson Fisk. As he does... Fisk calls a press conference, outing himself and Owsley as magnanimous benefactors here to save the city from the devil of hell's kitchen. Yurik deletes his article. An angry Matt Murdock throws the laptop he had been listening to, using to listen to the press conference across the room, ending the episode. What a wild two episodes. yeah. I also thought this scene was yeah. really funny and effective, where he was like, "Let me write all these things," and then, like, as he's saying them, he's like looking back at his article and he's like, "Shit, delete, delete." <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Also, having been having been a uh, a one time, you know, journalist, that's that scene hurt me. Like hitting delete hurt me like there there was an actual physical response to that was it
1: supposed to be purely coincidental that Wilson's speech had like word for word things in Ben's article or do you th- <laughs> or or did somehow the saved not yet published version of his story leak
2: I think it was a coincidence played for drama okay but
3: maybe I got scared for a minute that like oh no he he has eyes on the computer he knows that Ben knows yeah. Yeah, mm.
1: I can't remember. So I, I, this is an actual question, yeah.
2: right? Well, and also while we're talking about it, that um, so we talked about a lot of cliche here, and that uh, moment where he beats Yurik to the punch by exposing himself by going public, that hit me like a like a punch to the <laughs> chest. <laughs> Jesus. Listeners, you've missed out on the sound Exposing lord. Exposing himself to us. Miming.
3: You want to see the king? Thing? Anyway. Oh my god, no. What are you buying? The
2: king kingpin's hammer.
3: I'll buy it at a high price.
0: <laughs> Not enough cash. <laughs>
2: I was just getting really excited for you know yeah the journalist is gonna is gonna reveal the bad guy and then the way it pulls the rug out from under him it's like crap Uh like it actually hit. Mm -hmm. All
0: right, closing thoughts from this episode, man. I'm still on the these two episodes are basically the same episode but different. That's crazy. Mm And <laughs> it would be really interesting to see this as a two hour long episode that kind of interspersed these two like backstories together. It might be too much, but I think that would be really interesting to see.
2: I can see that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it could be effective. I mean, we effectively did that by watching them back to back, but.
0: Beaches, what was your big takeaway from cool.
1: this? Oh, just that they both made me very uncomfortable. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that I really fully understood the true level of uncomfortable they made me until we've been talking about it right now. And I think just talking about it and hearing y'all's perspective on it has um, just verified or validated that thought even more so. Um, but yeah, I don't have too much else to say. I, I Obviously, it was kind of a break in the story, right? So we want to know what happens next. Um mm-hmm. but it, it it the episodes were jarring enough that I wasn't really thinking too much about what happens next. I was thinking more about how uncomfortable I was. <laughs> so Yeah. Yeah, it was distracting, but not in the way where you're like, get back to the story, damn it.
2: Robbie? Um well my main takeaway is at one point. In this episode, uh, Matt is really dismissive of the Mets and how bad the Mets are. Um, and I kind of wasn't thinking right about which year did this show come out? The year this show came out, the Mets went to the World Series. Oh. <laughs> so, um,
1: Was that episode filmed before? <laughs> uh, well,
2: it was it would have been filmed that year but the Mets were actually good before they went to the World Series It was that was the year they finally made I just it. remember but writing in my, my notes haha
3: ha, suck it Mets so I was glad to see you mention <laughs> that
2: <laughs> yeah um, it was nice they lost to the Royals uh, we all had a co-worker who was a big Royals fan back then so um, and then but no my actual takeaway is just and we really talked about it two heavy, back to back story heavy up. back to back to back story. woof uh, heavy episodes um, that were handled very differently. I think one was executed much better, um, but really we we keep Colin Fisk the best character, and we gave him so much more to build on what we already thought was the best character. Um, and there is now more depth for both he his motivations and his relationship, and that continues to make me very excited, specifically for how Sound Lord is going to feel about this series and this character as it goes on. And he's said several things, so my my takeaway continues to be, oh my god, I'm so excited for Soundlord to see the end of this season. <laughs> uh,
3: that makes me happy. What are your takeaways? my uh, take away, um, you know, in spite of it being back to back backstory stories, uh, I it's the ending that got me, which is the Fisk ah. unmasking himself, uh, beating Ben to the punch, and I can't wait to see how that's going to shake things up. Um Owsley is at that uh press conference, so Owsley's in on it, but you have to wonder like how is Madame Gao gonna take that? How is Nobu gonna take that? Because I feel like they're not necessarily uh-huh. gonna be thrilled with that. And clearly each of them thinks that they're the most powerful person in this relationship
0: mm-hmm. in
3: this organization. Wilson thinks he is, Gao thinks she is, Nobu thinks he is. I'm pretty sure Gao is right, but that's just my guess. <laughs> um Gao seems to be the one that everyone's a little afraid of. She, you know, when she says she speaks every language, I don't know if that's an exaggeration or not, but, but you know, you know she seems to have a lot going on. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see now that Fisk is kind of running things his own way and that he has now revealed himself to the public after the beginning of the season, we don't say his name. So now I'm like, hi, I'm Wilson Fisk, and I approve this message. (laughs) Uh, I'm just really, really looking forward to seeing where it goes.
0: Well, I think that's going to do it for this episode of Assembly Required and MCU Retrospective. Join us next week as we talk all about episodes 9 and 10 of Daredevil as we inch ever closer to December when we finally get to talk more MCU and go back to WandaVision. But until then, email the show, assembly at gmail.com. You can follow the show on Twitter at assemblycast. Each of us individually can be found at PhilKid3, GatorSax2010, D underscore Peaches, ABCD, Eduardo1. And Chris, how about you pimp out that uh, that comic book you did yes! one more time uh, to yes. the if for the listeners, for anybody that didn't hear it last yeah, week. Yeah, I
3: talked about it last week, but it is out now. So I have a, I, I have a comic that I wrote that is in uh, a new anthology called Inspiration, a comic school anthology. Um, it is available on Gumroad. I don't have the link handy um, uh, and off the top of my head, um, but it is available if you l- go to my Twitter at GatorSacks2010. Uh, it is the pinned tweet. Uh, the link to the um, uh, the the thing on Gumroad. There's probably not really a uh... yeah. I could t- it's Gum G U M dot C O slash lowercase e capital K lowercase J V E. That's Either really left. Really, uh, really catchy there. Um, But it is available on Gumroad. Uh, 100% of the proceeds will go to Direct Relief, uh, which is an organization uh, that deals with public health issues around the world. Uh, Very important right now, obviously. Um, It is a name-your-own-price for it as well. I, I think the minimum is like $2 or something like that. And weirdly, it's in Canadian dollars. So... Not weird if you're in Canada. Uh, weird for me. I am in the United States. Um, so, you know. Way my, to dox yourself. I know. Now they know. Um, <laughs> I'm in a state. No one cares about the state. I'm in Pennsylvania. Whoever. Who, that's not not important. Um, yeah. I can't <laughs> think of a recent time Pennsylvania has been important. Yeah. Never. Um, my lieutenant governor can beat up your lieutenant governor. Um, but, I'm not going to argue. No. <laughs> you know I'm right. But yeah, so yeah, Inspiration comic School Anthology. Uh my story is called The Order of Nimbus. Um uh, I'm very very proud of it, very excited to have it out in the world. Uh art by Chris Dore, flats by uh Apollo Baltazar and Mark Gerald Rapaja. That, that they they made my story look so much better than it actually is. So uh so please if you're interested go, you know, go, you know, donate a little bit of money to charity and uh, there's twelve stories in there. They're all. I, I got a chance to read them all. They're all really good. Uh, so yeah, check it out.
0: All right, everyone. That's going to do it once again for us this week. Join us next week. We love you, three thousand. Bye, everybody. Excelsior. Hail the war.
3: Boobly boobly. <laughs> State 101.